0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to to this morning's Signpost webinar. Uh, My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with with Chagask. The uh, Signpost webinars are brought to you in conjunction with uh, National Rural Network, uh, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and Dairy Sustainability Ireland. Um, this morning we're delighted to be joined by Carol Quish, uh, project manager for Mulcare EIP and she's been with the project from its inception in, in, in 2019. Uh, the project uh, works on implementing measures uh, with farmers to improve the quality of, of water in the catchment. You're very welcome Carol. Good
1: morning Pat, thank you for the, for the introduction.
0: And I'm uh, also joined by Noel Meehan. Noel is the, the uh, program manager with uh, the asset program, so Noel will be handling questions. So, Carl, you might just give us a, a brief introduction to to yourself and your work in the in the EIP.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, what this, Pat, sorry, as you mentioned here, this project kicked off in 2019. and um, we are in my in my presentation now will get some more a lot more detail, but we're based down in County Limerick and County Tipperary on the Mulcao River, which is a huge catchment of over 650 kilometers square, and it drains most of the farmland in the South Tipperary, East Limerick. Okay.
0: Well, if you're ready to go ahead, we'll, without further ado, we'll, we'll get you to begin your, your uh, presentation.
1: Mm-hmm. Good morning, everybody. As Pat says, I'm here to present the Mulcair European Innovation Partner Project. and My name is Carol, and I'm the project manager. And I'm broadcasting this morning from Paris Green in County Limerick, where our offices are located. And it's quite a pleasant morning down here. Yesterday morning, not so much so, but today is quite good. So, just to give you a, a, a background of what I'm going to do, I'm going to give an overview. I'll give a brief background of the Molkaya attachment in the DIP project. And finally, I'm going to report on the findings to date with this, this project. So, yeah. The project project background, the project is a community and family project that commenced in in the spring of 2019 and the project is co-funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food, Marine and EU and we have a fund of approximately £1.17 The project team consists of a board of three members. We have a steering and advisory panel also with three local members who come with a vast array of both practical commercial and research skill sets. And of course, we have our operational group. Now, meetings are ongoing with all these groups all the time. And as I said, uh, I have been with the project from the outside, albeit in different roles, and there is also a part-time field officer working on the project. So the Mulcair River, the actual image of the catchment, it is it rises in the steeplefellow mountains which are in the northeast of the catchment and it flows a mostly northwesterly direction to a farm landscape before joining the Lower Shannon at Hayanil cottage. The catchment drains nearly approximately 650 metres square in counties Limerick and Tipperary, with approximately half the catchment in each county. There are several large tributaries to the Mulcair, including the Newport, the Cartine, the Dead, the Bilbo, and the Newport. Uh, When I refer to the water body as the Mulcair River, I am am really speaking about where the Dead and the Bilbo Giant, which is really the main stem, which is just west of the Palace Green Village, where I'm located, approximately 21 kilometres in length. The Mulcair catchment has been heavily influenced by arterial drainage works over schemes over many years. Under the Drainage Act in 1978, the risk and the data which uh, had had embankment, con- embankment construction and the bed of the river was lowered at the old bridge in, in just down again, not quite far here from Palace Green. In the late 90s, a flood relief scheme was undertaken on under the Newport River and a later a bypass on uh, the Bilbo River for Capamoor Village was built. The OPW and the local authorities carry out maintenance work, um, which is generally labelled, limited to embankment and structural damage. These are the seven sub-catchments that we in the project are involved with. We have the Inch in the northeast of the catchment, which is in County Tipperary, the Toome and Cape White, and the Day which straddle the county bounds, and then we have Mulcair 10 and Mulcair 20, which are in County Limerick. It's just an overview of the team. So the project objectives. It set out to develop a collaborative approach with all the stakeholders, the wider community and the farmers. Now the relevant stakeholders here that we work with are the Agricultural Sustainable Support and Advisory Program, ASAP, the Local authorities' Water Program, LAPRO, the dairy co-ops within the, the catchment, therefore, the local farming groups, and of course the farmers and the wider community. For each of the planned 60 farmers that we wanted to enlist to the project, we have undertaken very detailed farm assessments. We are also implementing on-farm mitigation measures, and we set out to devise a results-based agri environmental scheme for the project. This project is slightly different from the other EIPs in that we are targeting water quality as opposed to habitat and our species. We are going to deliver farm regression group meetings across the catchment and there's also an outreach programme part of the project and this involves an environmental education programme which we already have rolled out to the national schools in the catchment. Now this got slightly curtailed over the last year but we will hope to get it back on track again in the coming season this coming year. So, as I said, we deal with the ASAP, and we have the four co-ops, the dairy processing co-ops, the Terry, Dairy Gold, Arbor, and TIP, and then we also have the two target advisors, uh, Claire Mooney and Parik are also operating in the area. We also deal very closely with the LAPRO in the southeast and the southwest regions, and I would like very much to thank Ruth Hennessy for maps that she has tried me with for today's presentation. So how have we selected our farmers for this project? Buying from the farming community had been very positive from the very outside and we, re- we received in excess of 150 expression of interest forms. Now we had the normal selection criteria for the Plan 60 farmers, such as they had to have land within the catchment, they had to have active herd numbers that we over 18 years of age, But we had two very important uh, criteria that we implemented for this project. How, um, we didn't take all farmers on a first-come, first-sales basis. We undertook an assessment of both the farmer, the farm, and the individual farmer. The field officer for the project walked all the relevant scams and he scored each farm for the environment in their environmental risk, ranging from high, medium, and low. And secondly, he he assessed all all the potential pressures on each of the water courses and these were ranked from one to three would three be a major pressure of the water body and very importantly what the farmer attitude towards our project we assess each farmer's willingness to, uh, to actively engage with the project and be proactive was and being proactive to undertake the measures that we were asking him was also considered and um, um, as I say, that was very much part of our selection. The side type is predominantly heavy with a very high clay content. And generally, it's not suitable for tillage in the lower regions, and in the upper the upper the, the upper regions, think, there's quite a lot of peat uh, uh, up there. It is generally very poor drainage and retains water in times of flood and in the winter months. The blue areas on this map here, the Mulcair catchment is just here, have uh, been classified as poorly drained, and the grazing season in the lower catchment is generally. Turnout around the 17th March, and cattle are usually back in the sheds down here by mid-October. Now that's just a good average. There is extensions on both sides of that, but on average that's that's a fair reflection of what goes on down here. Uh, this map or bar chart, I'm sure we've all seen. It shows the the, the the values of the the waters, the rivers in Ireland, with the blue bars here being the high quality down to bad. Uh, the blue will obviously be the pristine waters with this, cat- again, all rivers in the Mortea catchment have been assessed under this, and not only is the ecological status assessed, but the physiochemical elements and the hydromorphology hydromorph- elements. As you can see here, the blue has decreased over the timeline, this is from 1997 right forward to, to 2020, uh, has decreased as has the green and of course, we can see an increase in the model for that, for that uptake. And the rivers in the Molkea catchment are also very much reflected in these changes. This slide, it does a lot going on, but it's just to give an indication of the different uh, quality scores of the catchment of the, the rivers on the tributaries, I suppose, within the Molkea catchment. This is where I'm located today here, the pink spot. This here reflects the Mulcare 10 and Mulcare 20, which are good. And if we go over then here to the Dead and the Cardine, they are poor or moderate in quality. Then Capo White is also Capo White and TUMOR moderate, and up here in the northeast, this is the Inch catchment, which again has moderate status. Which hope these are the results, and these are the EPA for um, entire catchment. So. Uh, what is the, the issue or what are the, the main nutrients entering the river down here? And the research tells us from the EPA that the, the um, phosphorus and, of course, silt would follow phosphorus are the main nutrients in the water. The blue here on the map, again, the mulch catching the seal clearly shows this. And the orange here refers to nitrates um, leaching into the water courses, which is not really a... Because of our heavy clay, our heavy soil type in the mulch is not reached really as a problem. So, all the nutrients from the land in, in, in this area would be reaching the rivers through overland flow, as the, the image here on the right shows. So, uh, next, I'm going to move on to our payment structure. We have developed a hybrid payment structure for this project, and it has three elements. The first one being an, the action based element, and this really is a payment to the farmers for capital works that have been carried out. And we have had all these works carried out in the area part of the of scheme, and now they are being paid for them over the life of the project. And the next element, then is which we found, which is really something we've worked very hard on it is the the results-based payment scheme and this was aimed to incentivize the farmers to address specific problems on their farm uh, and to work with the measures as within their own control. Because this project is addressing water quality, indicator species as used by other EIPs weren't really relevant. This was a challenge as water quality is difficult to measure in the first case and to relate it back to land use in a local area is again, extremely difficult to do. Farmers are not farming the actual rivers or streams. So the basis that we use for the assessment for the results base has to be within their control to be effective. So what we've decided to do is to target the on-farm actions completed by the individual farmers as the result indicators. So each year our field officer will inspect and score these results uh, from we are, I have an example of the score sheet in the next slide which I'll show you in a minute we have kept this extremely simple and take for the example one of our mitigation measures is a silt trap uh, our field officer will be checking whether that has been maintained so that means if there's been a double silt that it has been removed now we're also insisting that wetland plants be planted again they need to be maintained so it really will be the maintenance of the, the uh, action base will form our results base and then finally We have each farmer in the group has to attend five discussion groups. These are mandatory and they get paid for attending those. So this comes up to their total annual payment. is how we calculate it. Now, just quickly, this is the scorecard, we've kept this extremely simple to keep it transparent, farmers know exactly what's going on, there is issues where they will not be paid, so this is an example for a riparian buffer inspection, whereas if there's livestock accessing it, they won't be paid, and this will be signed both by the farmer and the field officer on the day of the inspection. This table here just shows an example of the more popular measures that were were taken up uh, by the farmers under nutrient management, low emission slurry spreading, the lime, the multi-species, we go down to the silt traps and then drains, and our rates of payment here, these were calculated so as to cover a portion of the cost of the measure with the farmer paying the balance and each farmer in consultation with the field officer and sometimes myself, four measures were assigned to each of the farmers to undertake. This uh, is in one of the images of one of our farmers and participating I, We uh, the field officer had been out he was hoping to install a pond. So this is him indicating where it's going to be installed. And this is the final result. Now these images have all been taken in the last few months. So when we come back next summer, we would see a lot of BODs you know, will all have greened up and look considerably different. This was a very interesting uh, feature that we came across within one of the catchments. This is the uh, a major tributary of the Mulca now it's up at the very head the headwaters but this The river was actually being used as the roadway to to access about four farms and luckily the farmer has now gone and put down a separate roadway adjoining the stream and since this picture was taken, this now has all been fenced off, Uh, this was was a major undertaking and this farmer was absolutely above and beyond the college duty to complete the measures. So just to give you some details now of our participating farmers. In actual fact, we recruited 65 farmers in the end. We were just covering for natural waste that may occur over the project. So we have 26 dairy farmers with 22 suckler, 16 cattle. And we actually have one tillage farmer. And this man is growing contract, growing oats for Flavins. He's just uh, quite near Tipperary Town. Very, very interesting man to deal with. So this is a location of the 65 participant farmers, as you can see, they're quite dispersed. The white line here is the county balance, so maybe Limerick are shading it as a fraction. But this group over here is that inch catchment that I spoke to you about earlier, and all the rest are dispersed across the other catchments that we're working on. And just a little interesting map that uh, I had created for today's presentation. This again just shows in the yellow dots of where the farmers are, but now we've also put in the, all the tributaries that flow within our catchment. And as you can see, there's a vast array of them. And in actual fact, these just show the water bodies, the natural water bodies, but with the arterial drainage, we have an, an awful lot of million drains running across the catchment and they are actually not in so the there actually is more water bodies within the catchment than what it is. So every farmer within this catchment is not very far from a water course that leads into the, major, into the Mulcair River. So our participating farmers, as I said earlier, each farmer was assessed for his environmental risk. And 37% of our participating farmers have high uh, environmental risk, 28% are low and 35% are moderate. Generally, the dairy farmers were within the high and the moderate and low were our cattle and suckler farmers. So this is the, process, the percentage of uh, area involved in the land area involved in the project, we have in total 3,200 hectares, again the dairy uh, sector uh, have the highest portion of this, and they have 40% where the settlers start cattle 25% and the others are just down uh, 106, uh, that's our tillage uh, farmer. So the stocking rate uh, for the uh, catchment is for, the, the, oh, the, sorry, the average stocking rate was 208 livestock units per hectare, whereas the dairy was 230, the sector 202, and the cattle um, uh, sector at the lowest of 188. So then we looked at also the organic Uh, Kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, again, the average for all our 65 farmers is 145 kgs, the dairy being the highest at 177 one hundred six, and our cattle at 112 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. So the uptake of measures by the different farming sectors. Both the water access supply mitigation measures and the new management, which is the, the down here in the green, is the 28 and 29, had the highest uptake, which we were very pleased with because these are so topical at the moment. But the one that we were very disappointed with was the uptake of riparian, installing riparian zones, or buffer zones, and these are both riparian and infield zones. It only, 7% of the farmers came forward to take these up, which we were disappointed with, but uh, all we wanted to do was put in a three meter width from the top of the bank, and we offered, I think, we had about five different types of, of, of buffer strips, ranging from flailed to wildlife margins, but this is the result, and this is the it just shows that maybe there isn't a huge appetite for 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 farmers to think buffer zones that certainly wasn't within the Maker. So in total there was 252 measures that we wanted our 65 farmers to complete last year. And we had over a 95% completion rate on this, uh, which we were very, very pleased with. Um, Uh, of the farmers who didn't uh, complete eight out of ten of the farmers who didn't complete the uh, the four measures, uh, they did complete three uh, measures and then one farmer only just completed one measure. And the reasons that they weren't completed were, on the whole, genuine farmers, and most of these farmers have agreed to undertake these measures in the the coming year. So we're accepting that is a little busy again, but this just shows um, a little more detail the specific uh, measures we had, as I said, 28 in total. Now, up at the top here, we're the fencing the watercourses, the line, the multi-species, which we're very pleased with the uptake in that, and then the solar pumps and, and, and the traps. and the images here are all from our catchment. So this is just to show you, we had an array of silt traps in channel ponds, settlement ponds carried out. These were designed in cooperation with the farmer and our field officer. And the images here just really highlight that they were built to to suit each specific farmer. They weren't bespoke now. With the silt traps, there had to be three chambers, but we really tailored them to the specific farms. And a lot of time designing, and the field officers spent an awful lot of time designing these uh, different type systems for different farmers. So this is the, the, the figure on the right here it shows the amount paid from the, the fund for the different measures, and obviously defending the war cost was the highest uh, earner this year, followed by the low emission slurry. And the image here on the left is a pond that was never in existence previously. This is located on a farm that had very high healy ground down to the corner of the field. And this farmer went above and beyond what was required, and he's put in an, exact, an a, a very, very high standard of a pond here. Again, it, it, it doesn't show the vegetation, but over the, this coming year, when the vegetation comes back and that we might do some uh, camera trail work in here to see if species are coming back in, it's something we're looking at, but again, we will be assessing that this year as as the project rolls out. So we also ran, this is another part, as I said, for the payment, these farmer discussion groups. Now, each farmer had to attend five of these, and this just gives, uh, the the list on the left there just gives, um, an idea of the topics that were covered, um, the unfound nutrient pathways, the soil fertility, the timing and application of all the nutrients from historic farmyard uh, fertilizer, and nutrient management plan. Now, these will be continuing over the life of the project. Now, we were a little unlucky last year in that we had to completely reorganised the plan, uh, format and schedule of these because of the one mentioned what happened. But uh, we got there now we had to eventually resort to holding them in sheds and all uh, and we had to run. We, they had to be condensed in on much time or tight timeline of what we were planning. But in actual fact, they worked out really well because we were getting them time uh, front time value or face value with the farmers every three weeks in, over the months of September, October, November when the measures were being done. And actually, it really did help that they were meeting us. They could discuss their issues, their problems uh it, I think it actually helps, and we build up a great comanric now. Uh, we divided our 65 families into five groups, and we organised them for five consecutive evenings each week that we ran them. So this really worked out well. In that farmers who had, you know, for whatever reasons, local funerals, uh, children going off to do uh, extra curriculum, so that once they contacted me, I could slot them into another evening. So the final result was that we had over 98% attendance at the discussion group meetings, which we were very, very pleased with. So just to give an idea of some of the project finances, uh, the, the overall budget of the 1.17 was broken down to 71% for project implementation, 23.5% for the administration, and then there's 5.5% for um, outreach, the dissemination of the project. That so each farmer, each of our 65 farmers, has the potential to earn 7,000 over the life of the project. Now, I just the inch uh, catchment. Uh, just just a, just picking an example of one of the catchments. The green hatched area here shows the farmers in this. We have nine farmers in this catchment. It's not a very big catchment, and it's open in the all open the uplands. But we have two dairy farmers in here, and the rest of beef and so now, All the farmers in this catchment are more or less involved. Now there is a location here where I'm pointing to where not involved, but he is probably one of the most environmentally aware farmers that, of, that I have met in the last two to three years. And when we assessed his farm, he had no environmental risk. He was very happy to be involved but we certainly could do nothing for him because he was doing it all himself now this this catchment also has quite a bit of forestry as you can see here and this area here is an, is an actual uh working bog where people are still taking contribute cutting turf out of it every year Now, there are two uh, EPA water uh, catchment uh, monitoring points here. There's one here in the middle of the catchment and then there's the other one is down here, right where it leaves, uh, where it drains the confluence of the the Bilbo River. It rises further up here, just before it drains the Bilbo River. And um, Lawsat, uh, especially in the southeast, are keeping us abreast of of the water quality here. Currently, the water quality in this catchment is moderate, but because we have such a large involvement here, we would. Were- Possibly seen improvement, and we have put in things like a, a large sections of this uh, catchment that have now been fenced. that were been previously. There is four or five solar pumps and pasture pumps gone in there. There is three or four silt traps gone in. There's been a great uptake of measures. There was uh, two new ponds after being built by the, the, the farmer down here. So it's it just to give an idea of at the catchment level what the project is actually undertaking. Okay. Um, so the next thing we're looking at, what are the next steps that we're going to undertake for the project? So first of all, um, uh, the field officer will be creating nutrient management plans and slurry risk uh, assessments, uh, sorry, fertilizer risk maps for each farmer. This is so just to give an idea here on the right. Now, for nutrient management plans, my field officer has a great saying that what is not measured cannot be managed and he has been promoting all of the last year under discussion groups that our farmers need up-to-date sile tests. So, look at uh, the new uh, pilot soil sampling program came online at around the same time we were at our discussion groups. And over 80% of the farmers that need to have soil tests done have been accepted into that program, which is absolutely excellent. And most of the soil testing now has been undertaken in the catchment and we're expecting results back in the next few days. So to have accurate nutrient management plans, uh, field officer has to be aware of the actual uh, pH levels. And he will also create for each of our farmers literally a prescription for each of their fields on what flurry uh, application does it need, a fertiliser. This will all be prepared uh, for him. And then um, he will go out and sit at the kitchen table and go through this in detail with each farmer. Now, we've spoken to the farmers and they're very excited to get this map. And they really appreciate the fact that we're going to sit down with them individually and go through it. Uh, we want to carry out an additional uh, attitudinal questionnaire, again this was planned for last year but had to be postponed. Uh, at one of our discussion group meetings, one of our farmers asked a very relevant question, what about analysing our story to see again what nutrients are, what are the components of nutrients in it. So uh, the field officer and myself are at the moment planning an experimental protocol for this, uh, we we have not quite worked out, but we will certainly be looking at the tree farming enterprises that we have in the project, and we'll probably also look at maybe the additional of the addition of those commercial biological additives that are currently on the marketplace. And then finally, one other task that we have now just recently commenced uh, is a water monitoring pilot scheme uh, in order to evaluate the success of the on-farm mitigation measures. That we have installed and we have sought advice and we are collaborating with the chemistry research department in DCU and then we will we have just about to start a pilot scheme on this um where we will undertake a roughly about nine assets from each water sample and then we will judge whether we need to take when the initial pilot is, is complete we will judge whether we need to take this further or not. So one other little thing, if we have a feeling that uh, sometimes we don't be busy enough down here in Mulcair, we entered into a collaboration last year with Vincent Wildlife Trust uh, um, for a, a little project for the conservation of this little creature here who's called the Lesser Horseshoe Bat. Uh, this project is funded by the EU Recovery Fund 2014 to 22, uh, and the map on the right here shows the location of the population of these lesser harsh tooth bats in the country at present. I mean, you can quite clearly see here there is an absence of a population or uh, between the Clare, uh, Kerry, and Cork region. So. Our collaboration with Reefs and Trust is to build, yes, here we are, is to build these little roosting houses for the bats in the hope that we will bridge that gap between the two populations. And this map here shows that some of the areas where to date we have seven farmers uh, now who've commenced, have signed contracts for this, are actually some of the existing farmers, and it's just slightly northeast of where we're working at the moment. So again, it's not a long project, it's only for a year. So finally, I just I'm nearly there, Pat. I just want to show the highlights from our project to date. Okay, so 38 kilometers of water courses have been fenced across the catchment. 23 water pumps have been installed. 2,700 tons of lime has been spread across the catchment. 2,130 trees have been planted. 61 hectares of multi-species sward has been sold, has been sown, and over a million gallons of surrey that was not previously applied with low emission slurry has now, has now been undertaken. Finally, and some more 3,300 metres uh, buffer zones have been fenced, 23 still traps, settlement ponds, in-channel ponds have been constructed, 15 acres of wetland has been fenced off, and 14 ponds have either been enhanced or created. Again, these are images showing a pasture pumpy have being installed. This is road work being done where um, alongside one of the that's actually one of the main drains there. And all of these works that have been completed have huge co-benefits for the for biodiversity within the, within the catchment. This is just a selection of some farmer feedback that you know, I just gathered up in the last few days uh, because our attitude and the questionnaire didn't learn. Now their makes that I do feel really like the last one here, the project has, this is with his own words, has shown me that in, the mindsets have to change. And this is something that we feel very strongly as a team about, is changing the mindset of the farmers. And if he said that if he wants to see salmon back in the stream in his lifetime, when he was a, a young farmer, starting out there was plenty of salmon in the stream every year, and now he hasn't seen any in a long number of years. And this other man here realises now that if we don't take action now, that... It needs to be taken out so that it's there for the future generations. Uh, this one here just says Mulcair has facilitated the farmers both financially and educationally to complete measures that will in time improve the water quality of the river. So now I have a little short video that we're going to, to that I'm going to play.
2: Gary Farman here in East Limerick. Uh, I, I heard about the Mulcair EIP program a couple of years ago. and was very interested by it targeting improving the water quality the bulk hair catchment area um, big factor is a big dairy country uh, the bulk air catchment and we're um, we're, uh, we're responsible for a lot of the water quality and as part of that we want to ensure better water quality in the area and so i've uh, i've taken on four actions here on the farm uh, to improve the water quality and biodiversity on the farm and we're standing in one of them this is a multi-species water plant in august uh, we haven't got to graze it yet so it's almost ready to be grazed uh, performed very well, we're very happy with how it, how it has taken, um, so weeds aren't too bad, so it's, it's quite good. We're hoping to get a um, better performance from this, uh, from the cows, as well as reduced uh, nitrogen inputs. Uh, we're hoping to get the same kilograms of dry matter per hectare, with 150 kilograms of nitrogen as opposed to 250 kilograms of nitrogen on uh, standard uh, perennial ryegrass warts. So that's the hope here, is to reduce our... Nitrogen input into this and have the same performance and actually better performance from our cows grazing this this product. I've also um, uh, spread a, a lot of lime. I spread over 100 tons of lime in the farm this year to keep my soil fertility right, so that I get best use of so my fertilisers uh, that, that I spread here. That the the pH levels are correct, and it also helps the the uh, clover incorporation that I've been carrying out here for a couple of years, where you need the pH at 6.2 to 6.5. In order to get a good take of clover and we've seen the benefits of that this year where we have a uh, good clover and a, a nice few swords and we have reduced our nitrogen uh, chemical nitrogen because of that um i've uh, i've developed these with the team in, in eip uh these actions and i've also put put in a, a, a pond in an outside block which you can see the later right run and the um i'm also doing uh settlement ponds try and catch any sediment coming coming down before it gets to do into watercourses, so that's pretty much it. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks, Carl. Uh, Thanks for for a very clear presentation there. Uh, If you just uh, turn back on, yep, Uh, a number of questions uh, starting to come in there and remind people to to use the question and answer for, for questions. Uh, I suppose uh, 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 there's been a couple of questions as to why farmers were reluctant uh, uh, to uptake the the riparian margins. Have you any reasoning behind that? Is it just the, the use of the land or what are the what are the issues there?
1: I should be my field options, I said this is one that we were disappointed about. Basically, uh, the, the, the money that we were proposing now it ranged from three euros a meter up to five euros a meter for the wildlife margin. Farmers obviously didn't consider that uh, of equal value to what they could farm the land for. Um, it's a finding; it is what it is. You know what I mean? But it was this finding. You know what I mean? And we had, as I say, we get five different options, but that is defining of this
0: project now. Okay, it, it, it's of interest to, to those of us who are looking at putting in those types of measures. Uh, in relation to the, the ponds, uh, this sounds like probably one of the most widespread uses of, of ponds and, and silt traps across a, 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 a landscape that, that probably we had. I presume it's too early to, to make any judgment of the effectiveness of them, but have you any initial uh, uh, feedback from them?
1: And as late as this week, I went out to take some of those images just to take photographs for to put on the today's slide, and you could quite clearly see the difference in the water quality from the top chamber to the bottom chamber. Now it's only visual but it certainly shows a difference already, you know what I mean? But like over time, because of the rainfall amount over here, we we will be monitoring and some of those chambers, we might need to maybe ask the farmer to go back in and put in a fourth, a fifth chamber. But from what we can see safety already, and this is just a visual inspection, they seem to be working. And now we're also asking the farmers to plant wildlife uh, wetland plants into those or the, those or this coming summer, so they should establish as well, and they will trap any you uh, know nutrients that might come down and run off and whatever. You, um, Again, they're going to be a complete value to, to biodiversity, and especially those ponds that are gone in, like there, there's a number of ponds gone in. Um, and like once they start cleaning up and wildlife starts coming back into them, you know, as I say, we will, we will monitor them over the next two years just to get some, you know, feedback on what's actually going on in the ground out there.
0: Okay, and I presume that that farmers seeing other farmers putting in ponds, it, it kind of spreads from one to the other. They see these are oh, not really a bad thing.
1: Word the mouth is great.
0: Okay, okay. You you said there was there, there was a uh, twenty-three pumps put in, uh, and uh, I suppose the question about that is is has that had a substantial impact in excluding. Uh, farmers from uh, uh, having cattle with access to the to the streams.
1: Absolutely, part of the condition of paying them for the pasture or the bonds was well, they had to fence the cattle out of the existing access pines that were in some places numerous and in other places just maybe one pine. So. To be to receive the monies that we paid, they had part of the terms of conditions that they had to do, they had to fence them out. So, and like outside of that, we had over 37 or 8 kilometers also fenced off. But what we found out, what we we're hoping is because we've now paid them to find an alternative drinking source, that those fences will be maintained going forward and that the cattle will no longer be accessing the streams.
0: Okay. Noel, a
3: lot of questions yep. starting to come in there. Yeah, lots of questions coming in and and just to compliment you on a, on a great presentation Carl. um i suppose the first question i actually go to answer for you it was it was um a question around um the the image of where you had the the overland flow um running off a, a kind of a soiled area into the into the drain and um there was a big field with no hedges and there was it was a question around is this typical of the area and uh, that photograph wasn't taken from that area but it, it, it is, uh, it wouldn't be typical, a big massive expanse of, of ground like that, I'd say, Carol, would it? You know, the talking pictorial-
1: about uh, In our dairy farms, especially in the lower reaches of the catchment, uh, as you know, removal of hedgerows was encouraged for years. We are looking, and part of our measure there was the, we had a measure for, for tree lines to be put back in, and especially in the critical source areas, there was a nice uptake of those. But uh, because the lower reaches, Part of that area is a floodplain for the Murkeya River, and it can, I have images, I'd love to show you more images, it. it can be scary the amount of water that moves around here, and it, there's one of the areas there called the Dead River, and it, it doesn't flow, like you can obviously never see a flow in this river, but what it can do, it can rise up to three metres and go back down again within a day or two, You know, it just goes up and down. But um, yeah, Overland flow here is an issue, especially during flood events
3: okay um I suppose there's kind of two questions here that are around the the, the operation of the um, of the of the project. so the first one is 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 a question around the the administration cost and I think it was in around three 23% percent or three and a half percent and and you know is is that is that a high level is it is it a, is it a high cost uh, maybe in in comparison with other uh, EIPs, if you know the answer for that and then the second one is um the operational group. Uh, which forms the part of the EIP, and can you you confirm who sits on it and how often it meets? Uh, How useful they are uh, how useful is it in the overall running of the project?
1: Uh, Our operational group has 16 members, and these are drawn from the four dairy processing co-ops, all the farming organisations, IFA, ICMSA have Mm -hmm. representation, LAWPRO have representation, Asset advisors are also on it, we also have other oh, local business interests and kind of independent people. Again, because of the year that we've had over the last two years, meetings have been curtailed, but they're an absolutely brilliant bunch, and I can ring any of them at any stage for advice, and if they can't answer my question, they will find the answer for me. They're they're there at every beck and call. Now, there's some of them we meet more regularly, uh, the LASA people, and and the ASA people, but they're all there at any stage. You know what I mean? They've committed, they've signed the contract. Commit to the operation group. And as regards the financing of our project in comparison to the other EIPs, as I say, we are a very small team down here. I am the only full-time employee, and uh, my poor field officer is my doctor that works three days a week here, and he's a dairy farmer also in the catchment. Uh, I would imagine we might be at the lowering of the administration costs, uh, but I couldn't conclusively say.
3: That's fair enough. Uh, I suppose it's another one, and I think you you possibly have it covered already. But what what kind of linear distance of waterway is covered by the EIP? uh, You know, I suppose you have whatever. Linear
1: distance. uh, Yeah, I actually I have the 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 area of each of those seven uh, catchments that we're looking to now inch. And two are quite small, but the Mulcair 20 is quite large. I don't actually know, know have the figure for the overall lineage, uh, the limits of the rivers that we're working with. It's substantial, as you can see from the maps. Yeah. I'm not sure even is that information available. Maybe something we could look at down the road and say it would be a lovely figure to have
3: exactly and uh, something something in case uh, you have a quiet day someday carol if you like that uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I have been, I have been more, yeah yeah
3: <laughs> just uh just uh, i suppose maybe a um a comment um from a from a listener as a viewer as well is that you know complimenting uh the the ip on on your work with the lesser horseshoe bat and uh you know it, it was it's a yeah, great, it
1: it was something that came something that came out of the blue. A very nice lady in Vincent Wildlife Trust contacted me back, back last spring. They had previously made an application for EIP funding and they got to the final stages, but they didn't get there. So they felt that if they could you know, work with an existing EIP and our structures have obviously been up and running, that we'd have a better chance. And we did complete the application form and the, the locally led section were very pleased with the application. And We did we have received just over 170,000. And the plan was initially to build 10 of these bad houses for the lesser hardship. I, I, I. Sometimes maybe we, we, we'll chat to the lady and Kate, open and Vincent Wildlife Trust and Ruth. They are, they are absolutely passionate about these bat species and the yeah. fact that we have the knowledge in the ground down here. I think it will be very successful, and that hopefully over time we will see the, the, the population increase. There's a couple of a couple of
0: questions in here uh, about the ponds, and w- one I suppose very practical one. What are the planning uh, requirements in relation to construction of ponds and sediment traps, if, if if any?
1: There is planting requirements. This year we will be expecting all of the farmers to plant those wetland. That I'm talking sorry, about. Sorry, not
0: planning as opposed to. Oh, k-
1: pla- oh sorry, planning. I thought it was planting. Sorry, the planning. No, because. Uh, we kept them to 10 meters by 3 meters of the size. We we didn't fall under any planning regulation requirements for them.
0: Okay, and I, I suppose a related question. Is there any uh, runoff from, from farmyards or grey water being treated in any of these or are they purely uh, landscape features?
1: Certainly the in-channel ones and the sediment ponds will be on the main drainage leaving farmyards. Uh and you know, certain times of the year there is a high risk of runoff. And I think the the, the planting of the plants in there would pick up any nutrients that might occasionally escape. So uh, they, they're not just uh, features within the landscape, they're actually going to hopefully filter the water. And as I said, sediment is a huge issue here. I, I, if, we can, if we can curtail the sediment into the streams, we would hope to see a recovery of, of, of the ecological status of the rivers. Uh,
0: I just give, before I turn back to I just give you a nice easy question. How will Carl assess and- if, if the EIP is a success?
1: <laughs> How would I assess? Well, <coughs> the, uh, yeah, I suppose so. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Pat. It's terribly easy. Uh, there, there's a few learnings from this that I, I, if there was nothing to come out of it, and uh, the one thing that my field office, myself and the board, the local level involvement here, having the team literally in the middle of the catchment is essential. Uh, the face-to-face contact with our farmers is invaluable. Uh, now, we will just take uh, contact with them or giving them a, a notice of the, the group meetings. Uh, like, I think that, take, that some farmers don't answer texts. Now, I will say most of them have mobile phones for ringing, but they don't do texts. WhatsApp is not always available. So over time, I have now learn which farmers I specifically have to ring every time. I have a group of farmers that do WhatsApp, and I did the rest on text, and I ask them to reply. And as we started rolling out meetings, within 10 or 15 minutes of I sending out the web text at the back end say, yeah, we'll be there, we'll be there. Or they'd come back and say, look, I can make that night. Can you switch me over to another night? So that team on the ground here has been invaluable. And the other thing that we would really like to see is changing the mindset. Every farmer that I speak to want to do measures to improve the quality of the water down here. They, 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 there is no unwillingness to do it, but they just need to know how to do it. And the learnings that will come from this should be replicated across many other catchments.
0: And
3: that's, that's all That's a very good, good comment. Um, just to kind of, uh, um, maybe two that is kind of linked. Um, one is around, For the capital measures, so for example, for the solar pump uh, or the or the pasture pumps or or that kind of thing, is what percentage is paid by the EIP and what is does the farmer have to contribute to it, and then what? what, what would the average annual payment for farmers be that are in the project? So yeah, absolutely.
1: We'll just take the solar pumps. Um, the, so we contributed €1,795 Euro, to the cost of solar pumps. Now, many of the farmers that put these in, they just covered the pumping of water. But these solar pumps also can, if you get... Uh, can have batteries or solar panels to operate electric fences. And a lot of these went into outside farms where there wasn't electricity. So a lot of them now opted for that option as well to get the current to run the electric fences instead of maybe borrowing it from a neighbor or whatever. So they paid more than that, but it suited them. and. That, that's all good going down the road because it means that there's more fencing going in. So for the pasture pumps, we paid up to about 100, I think so, 180 or 190 euros. And the farmer didn't install those pasture pumps. He supplied all the fittings the hydrogen the, the, the piping and what have you. Uh, and and that was his contribution to the cost of those. You know what I mean? So we looked at each measure, and in, in some situations we contributed more, but and in, in other situations. The farmer had to put in the time to install them, you know what I mean? So, um, again, generally they were happy. Now, you always have an odd man who would like to get more, of course, but generally um, they seem to be happy. And the average, they should, most farmers would commit. Do their four measures. Oh, now all of those measures have to be completed last year, as I did say, some didn't, and there are extenuating circumstances there. Now they will lose a one third proportion of their payment. But each should be able to use the project.
3: Okay, can you just repeat that because you, 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 I lost just the the value there because I I lost you, and maybe everybody else lost you as well. So just I'm
1: sorry, I. I, 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 yeah. Uh, um. They, each farmer has the potential to earn seven thousand euros.
3: Okay, that's fine. Now, a, a kind of maybe a, an unusual question, but one in here about um, are the solar pumps insured? And I presume that that might be from I don't know either damage from from um, from use or or, or maybe from. Been taken.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. yes, and tests could be probably, and most of the farmers are very conscious of that, and they are located out in the way areas, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, the, the solar pumps we put in, these will pump water up to a kilometer away, so you, know what I mean? you don't have to have the pump and the water truck in the one location. And there is an, an image I have it there somewhere of a man that he's pumping, it, and it's even up a slight incline that he's pumping them, um, and they're working really successfully again insurance of these would be the to individual farmers to look after that
3: okay um i suppose just just a, a kind of another maybe um Biodiversity kind of question, um, and, and and it's not something I think you're, you're dealing with, but uh, around invasive species species, you know, um, <laughs> that means not weed giant hogweed is that prevalent or a problem? Are you finding um, in the area?
1: There, Yes, it is indeed. There are sections of these streams where there's, especially the the tomb and Kapa White have a huge population of uh, uh, hogweed. is very very predominant in the, in those. Now they, I work with the two local authorities here, Limerick and Tipperary, and they have a scheme there where they go out and shoot that every year. It's something we will look at maybe next, this year again, um, maybe to do some work with them. But there is a fairly extensive eradication scheme across the, the two catchments on here being operated by both Limerick and Tipperary County Council, and they have to be commended for that.
3: Very good. And maybe one final one for me, Pat, before I hang it back, hand it back to you. Yep. Um had... Uh, any of the any issues around slurry um, storage and and the adequacy of the slurry storage, and if so, did your program provide any funding for that? Um,
1: uh, no funding for actual storage. That's as you know, uh, nor is covered by TAMs. That was never what we had set out to do. Yeah. Concrete was not something we were ever. It, it was never within the remit of the project to get into the construction of, of concrete tanks and storage. Um I'm sure there is farmers out of our 65 who maybe not have adequate storage. Um, our field officer would certainly talk to them about that. But like our measures are more uh, environmentally friendly measures, I suppose. You know what I mean? Uh, we don't have the money. Yeah, uh,
3: that's fair enough. There's, lo- there's loads more questions there. Uh, right,
0: but one thing yeah. that, that there's a number, and, and I think I stopped you answering it before by th- when, when there was a question about uh, uh, there are questions about planting in in relation to the the, the uh, ponds, and whether there is you're going to use reed beds or any other level of uh, um, planting, or is it going to be natural regeneration?
1: And actually, um, we had got great advice from a man down clear, he came up and spent a day with us were the out outies, and he went to South Sosara saying, get your spade, go out into the field and dig up naturally occurring irises, and they will regenerate very, very quickly. So you're talking like bull uh, rushes, uh, bull rushes um, and irises, they, they are naturally occurring in this landscape. Now, certainly it will be, I'm sure some of our farmers will try it now. So I have an image there of a man that has put in the, uh, a selection of, of wetland plants. Now, They will have to go in if that farmer is to receive his full payment okay. at the end of this year.
0: OK, listen, th- thank you very much for I, I think it's, it's it's a really important uh, project because I think we we are facing a lot of requirement to start being a lot more proactive about the measures we put in place in the landscape to protect water quality it's not only about nutrient management and management of farmyards so they, it's, a, it's a real learning opportunity i think for, for us all involved in this space so thank you very much for your presentation i think you just wanted to to make a a, a final comment
1: I did indeed, Pat, without my 65 farmers who participate in this project, I certainly wouldn't be here today, and they have been truly inspirational. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with them.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Carol. Thank you, Noel. Uh, and also thanks to our production team of Andy Boland and Yvonne Marr. Uh, next week, we're kind of changing topic a little bit, and uh, there has been the announcement of, by... Uh, the government and SEAI of the the retrofit scheme, and I think uh, it's it's timely then that we would have Matthew Carey from SEAI to talk to us about the national heat uh, decarbonisation study. I think it's an area that we will all be very interested in over the next number of years as to how we turn our our uh, houses into into from oil guzzling to to uh, climate neutral. So. Uh, I think an insight from him next week should be really useful. So thanks very much to everyone for joining us and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost Series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.